Welcome to Unsung Heroes with Johnny, Daniel, James, and Sam. Our goal is to leave no hero unsung. Welcome to the Unsung Heroes Podcast. I'm Johnny and I'm joined here with some friends. We have James. I'm back. We have Samuel. I'm still here. <laughs> and we have Daniel. Marhaba. Hey. Ooh. Have I already done the Turkish? You know, I don't know, but it's fitting considering well, you I'm did ta- say shalom, so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's it's fitting wow. considering I'm talking about a um a Byzantine today. Oh wow! Ooh, I was gonna say, Ooh, is this a Roman yeah. person because of the name? But yes, he is indeed. Ooh. Yep. So welcome back to our listeners, and welcome back, especially to James here, hey. dude. Yeah, I have some notes about last episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, that's great. we were joking yeah. about giving you the opportunity, so let's just move yeah. on. Let's set aside the first <laughs> ten minutes of this podcast, and I'm gonna. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, no, that was funny. Yeah, yeah no, so, I, I enjoyed uh, the last one. I missed it for sure. I was out of town, but. Um, definitely like listening to it on uh, on Monday when it came out, so that was cool. Yeah, well, mm. we're glad to have you back, and in honor of you being back, we are giving you the floor. <laughs> Has nothing at all to do with our general order of things. No. It's just the it's fact that just, <laughs> it's because you're back. Just take the the privilege. <laughs> well, I will take the privilege. That is my my right to present. Okay, today. let's not get ahead of ourselves. Okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, so who are you going to be telling us about today? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about Flavius Belisarius, who is a, again, two historians and those familiar with um, Byzantine history, or I'll call Eastern Roman history. Uh, he'll be a very familiar figure. He was uh, one of the greatest generals of that, um, or of his day, and he lived during the reign of Justinian the Great, but um, relatively unknown by most people. And of course, one of our criteria for unsung heroes are people who, while they might have been well-known and well-respected and and very well-praised in their time, definitely kind of faded from the general imagination. And I think Flavius belongs among the um, great heroes of our kind of historical conception of Roman generals, you know, among people like Caesar and um, Augustus and, um, you know, even Aurelian and kind of these these. These people we know more about, I think that he's often overshadowed in that sense. So um, I'm excited. And plus, I also wanted to do something that was um, old. I like old historical stuff. My my kind of realm of where I'm hoping to develop more expertise, at least, is definitely Eastern Mediterranean in the kind of first century. So um, this is definitely out of my normal realm of stuff i'm familiar with and more comfortable with so i'm i was excited to learn some more for sure so wow so he's um so flavius belisarius is that yes yeah yeah definitely got got that good good roman name so Mm. yeah so he's which empire is this yeah so as a kind of a brief um sneak peek if you will he is considered the greatest general of the byzantine or again maybe i'll call it eastern roman empire um, under Justinian I, he lived from 505 to 565 AD, and he did a lot of things. And unfortunately, time will not permit me to really go into detail. I could spend 
two or three hours on this guy. He did so much, but he wow. he basically tune in to Unsung Heroes After Hours. Yeah. For a <laughs> detailed description. Dude, I would be so down for that, honestly. But uh, um, yeah, so again, there's so much he did, and there's so much context here. I really am going to feel awful a lot about skipping over so much of his life, but I'm just going to kind of hit the highlights, and that way it'll give you guys a taste of who he is, and I'll let our listeners perhaps get inspired to look more into his life a little bit because he's got a. And we all story. know what happened to the Byzantines. Yes, do, do we? <laughs> Daniel do says we? in a foreboding voice. <laughs> Daniel was told from a young lad what happened to the Byzantines. <laughs> it was his bedtime story. Really unfortunate how those Byzantines went down. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh it. man! Yeah, for those of you who do not know, Daniel is uh, Turkish, um, which means he is a descendant of the Ottomans, who were the um, the ones who. I mean, it took most of the Byzantine territory, and they also ended up sacking Constantinople in 1453, hey. um, which, again, depending on your side, was either the greatest or worst day in history. So, <laughs> <laughs> Most of us here would say worst, but, you know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, guys. <laughs> like, that's fake, wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. Uh, wow, the yeah. great schism of the Unsung Heroes podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I start like a very Ottoman-centric... One by myself after this. We have a little <laughs> civil war between the podcasts. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm not trying to cause a rift, Daniel. I, I yeah, have it's... great respect for the Ottomans. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I, if you guys are ready, I'll go ahead and get into it. Let's do it. All right. Alrighty. So let us bring ourselves and our imagination <laughs> with the dramatic music in the background into the 6th century in 505 A.D., a little lad from Illyria, or possibly, we're not necessarily sure, named Flavius Belisarius was born to ordinary, uh, rather poor parents. Not a man of noble birth, but I think he was from pretty good stock. Interestingly enough, um, from what I know of Roman history, there were quite a few amazing figures, generals, and emperors who were born in Illyria. Or again, he might not have been born in Illyria, but somewhere in Germania, kind of a a province in Rome. And Illyria specifically is kind of the modern day Balkans region, if that makes any sense. So his first language um, actually wasn't Latin. I mean, he kind of grew up speaking, he's kind of, you know, bilingual, if you will. But, um, you know, growing up, he also spoke uh, Thracian. So that, that comes into play a little bit later in his life. But so clearly, you know, he's born in the Eastern Roman Empire. The Western Roman Empire at this point has pretty much collapsed in its entirety, at least as we understand it. Um, and the East Roman Empire is still going uh, pretty strong. Of course, it's it's fluctuating a lot. It's ceded a lot of territory to either the Sasanian Persians in the East or Germanic tribes and other people groups in the West. So um, at this point, there's been a lot of change in the empire. Of course, the empire is also almost entirely Christian, um, minus a quick little stint with uh, Julian the Apostate. You pretty much have a Christian empire at this point. So that'll also come into play in some of the, the politics of the time as well. Um, but again, we talked about how he's born in Illyria, and we don't really know much about his childhood. Of course, you know, our records of history in general are uh, much less complete than we'd like. But um, the first record we have of Belisarius is when he was enlisted in the army under the emperor Justin I, uh, who lived from 518 or reigned from 518 to 527. Now, I, again, remember to distinguish between Justin I and Justinian I. Justin I is the predecessor to Justinian, and Justinian's mm. kind of the big dog of the Byzantine Empire. He is like, the, he called Justinian the Great. He's kind of the one who took back tons of territory, and he obviously, is, according to our stories we'll hear today, um, he did this through the um, the command of Belisarius. So um, the first record, though, we have of Belisarius is he was enlisted in the army under Justin I, 
And very early on, even as an older teenager, he was, um, he became one of the personal bodyguards of Justin. And he was um, noticed by Justin and was considered by his compatriots as a very highly, or highly capable and effective uh, military leader and just an all-round uh, pretty you know, outstanding guy. He was known to have impeccable manners, honorable person, didn't have a stuck-up attitude about him, and he was loyal to a fault. And those characteristics really set him, set him above his, um, his fellow soldiers. And so um, later on in his career, Justin I, again, this is the previous emperor, um, allowed Belisarius to form an elite bodyguard. Uh, it's a, it was a heavy cavalry unit which was outfitted and trained in a manner similar to their Hunnic and Gothic enemies. So they, you know, they'd use composite bows from horseback. They had lances and swords. And so he kind of formed this really elite bodyguard cavalry unit and was um, given command over it. And then soon he was um, kind of thrust into the fighting and given some joint commands with several other leaders in his early career fighting um, on Rome's Eastern Front with their mortal enemy who they were always fighting with, the Sassanids. I know there are various pronunciations of that term, so I'm just going to stick with that one for now. But I like Sassanids. Yeah, I've, I've heard <laughs> I've heard any kind of pronunciation you can think of. But Sassanid. basically, this was one of the, the Persian dynasties, essentially. So after the Parthians kind of collapsed and they were kind of the enemies of Rome before this period, then the new, you know, kind of dynasty that rose up were the Sassanids. So um, hmm. they were always fighting with Rome and they were constantly bickering over Mesopotamia, regions in the Caucasus and just, you know, various border towns and disputes that were always being ceded and gained back. And, and you know, the back and forth was pretty constant between these two empires. So um, hmm. there'll, there'll be a lot of fighting with the, with the Persians um, in this episode. And but, whenever they killed someone secretly, they said, you've been... Assassinated. You've been assassinated. Uh, <laughs> that was awful. Wow. That was so oh, bad. Yeah, no, that, that's a true fact. Um, very yes. true. Absolutely. That only took me, yeah, only took me 40 seconds to come up with. That is what I find out on Wikipedia. I could tell you were probably sitting there, right? Just waiting for as a As soon as you said Sassanid, I was like, okay, okay, we'll start trading. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Um, and, uh, of course, part of the conflicts that were first, um, or that Belisarius was first involved with had to do with, um, territory of the territory of modern day Georgia at the time. And a lot of the conflicts, Georgia, the country, not the yes, of course, for American <laughs> listeners, there's a country. Yeah. Wow, what um, a weird alternate history that would have been. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Byzantines are attacking. <laughs> They're attacking Georgia. Going into Atlanta. It's in Savannah. The who now? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah um so the Zori the sorry the the persians were zoroastrian and so they were trying to forcibly convert peoples from from christianity to zoroastrianism at this what's time what's zoroastrianism james for our viewers um in quit in short it's another monotheistic religion that originated from persia um i'm not gonna go into more detail than that because we don't have time but yes it was the it was the religion of the persian empire essentially during this time period so um eventually a bunch of conflicts arise and um Belisarius' first battle as a co-commander was actually um, a, a failed one. As you'll kind of notice, Belisarius' early career especially, he had a def definite mixed bag of results. I wouldn't really say that he was the kind of general, maybe like uh, Admiral Yi, who just never lost. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think one of the cool things about Belisarius is that even though he lost and he wasn't always successful, he continually learned from his mistakes, and that made him an extremely competent commander. So we see that um, his first battle... Um, he he lost as a co-commander, but he was known even after that battle as being really effective in doing lightning strike raids against the Persians. So even though he lost uh, his first battle, 
um, his his uh, escapades afterwards were recognized by the um, by the court, and he was considered pretty highly for his effectiveness in that regard. Um, he also fought in several more battles um, in his wars with the Persians with some mixed results, um, but he ended up being promoted to higher positions of authority. Um, and, and from this, we can surmise, obviously, that he was not really considered part of the problem. You know, sometimes battles are lost for a variety of reasons, and not, not all the time is the responsibility of a loss placed upon the leader alone. And so clearly the authorities over um, Belisarius did not consider the losses his fault. So he was mm. still rising up the ranks after his time. And uh, eventually Justin um, dies and his successor, Justinian I, places Belisarius in command of the Roman army during the Iberian War. And again, I'm not going to get into all the details of this war. We have too much stuff to cover. But in a famous battle called the Battle of Dara in 530, uh, Belisarius wins an incredible victory against the Persians, um, even though he's highly outnumbered. And the battle's pretty incredible. He, he was being sieged at Dara, but instead of deciding to be sieged, he comes out to meet the Persians on the field. He digs these trenches to utilize his cavalry to maneuver around them in order to pin the Persians in. And he does pretty incredible flanking maneuvers, again, that are very complicated and we don't have time to get into. But essentially, he beats the Persian king, Kavad I, hmm. uh, which was a huge victory and brought him a lot of fame and notoriety in Constantinople. That's so hmm. funny. He's like, oh, you want to siege me? Nah, man, I'm coming out and I'm sieging you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sieging you. <laughs> You've actually bought my trap car. You know, I think in a lot of cases, before a siege happens, you have to consider the consequences, right? For him, it was like, I'm not going to sit here and starve out and just lose more and more strength as he's able to be continually resupplied. So strategically in this in this case, it made a lot more sense for him to meet the Persians in battle. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's, it's like, a I don't want to sit in the castle and rot away. I'm going to go, you know, <laughs> take it to you. So yeah. it's, um, it's really amazing to me just how much strategy things like this require mm -hmm. i mean for for us in our everyday life like we don't really even consider how complicated and how complex things like this would oh have been gosh, yeah and we mentioned before in this podcast but again war a lot of it has to do with logistics like just the administrative right. task of maintaining discipline giving clear orders maintaining plans and strategies and executing them properly that is extremely hard to do in something like a battle you know it's yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, he had a a pretty impressive um showing here at the yeah. Battle of Dara, for sure. Yeah, and I feel like people are used to, you know, TV shows or movies where there's only, like, one big battle and the whole rest of it is, like, characterization or whatever. But yes. when you think yeah. about, in history, generals who were extremely, you know, great at what they do for 40 years, you know, that's a lot of what Flavius just did with the whole counter-siege and this and, that, like, just many, many battles throughout your life. So you yeah, really have to yeah. be on top of your game. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And you'll see you'll see that his, he has a long career, and so he definitely is confronted with a lot of different scenarios he has to work through. So, again, I mentioned he defeats the Persian king Kavad, and this essentially makes the Persians much more open to peace negotiations. Now, notice I didn't say that they negotiated peace at this time. I said it definitely opened the way... Um, for peace to occur, which would obviously have been very favorable towards Rome at this point, or towards Constantinople, I should say. Hmm. Um, but, but they had two different translations. Yeah, no, not this time. <laughs> they, they sent the wrong messenger. <laughs> <laughs> nope, not this time. But as Daniel had mentioned about the complexity of war, uh, he fought again at a different battle, and he was defeated this time uh, hmm. by the battle of, um, I'm going to pronounce this very poorly, but Kalincum. Kalinsum, I, I don't know exactly, but at, at this battle, the Persians, um, even though 
he wasn't uh, no one the Persians I think the Persians even were outnumbered at this point the Persians outmaneuvered his army and were very effective and actually defeated him at this point and he fled pre- pretty early on seeing that he was going to lose the battle he tried to get his forces out of there as fast as possible and this unfortunately forced the um, the Eastern Roman Empire to capitulate to Persia and the treaty they ended up negotiating after this point was not favorable towards Rome and they ended up ceding a lot more territory than they had wanted to. Um, and so the Persians kind of came out on top in a way, even though um, Belisarius's reputation was definitely um, secured at this point. He was known as a good commander. He still lost this one battle, and this led to um, kind of a stalemate, but at the same time, it was a favorable stalemate um, for the Persians. Hmm. So, of course, because this does not end very great, Belisarius is called into Constantinople, and he is charged with incompetence and was accused of being responsible for the defeat. But a further investigation revealed that the failure really didn't fall on his feet. And so most of the charges against him were pretty much cleared. Again, Mm -hmm. once you you lose kind of in that manner, people want to find someone to blame. Apparently, again, based on what they'd found out, most people pretty much acknowledged, yeah, this really wasn't Balisarius' fault. Again, I don't know the details of what was going on necessarily in everyone's minds, but it seemed that his reputation was maintained and cleared, even though they did technically lose that aspect of the conflict. I know this was a while ago, so we might not have this information, but is there any word of like how Bolisarius responded to this, uh, this kind of like, I don't know, this charge against him? Yeah, I, I couldn't say, um, again, I couldn't spend so much time in the details like I'd want to normally in a kind of episode like this, but right. uh, we don't necessarily know the details. We, we do know though, based on the, you know, stuff we'll, I'll tell you about later in the episode that there was some strained relationships between Belisarius and the court. Um, he yeah. was actually a good friend with Justinian I had a personal good relationship with him, but that often came into tension later on, as you'll see. So um, we'll talk more about that later, but I can't really answer that question accurately mm-hmm. yeah. um, to my knowledge. So um, Belisarius then, um, you know, is living in Constantinople and there's this really, this really fascinating political part of Byzantine history, um, which culminates in the Nika riots of 532. And I'm not going to get into all the details, but essentially these riots were caused by corruption among Justinian's courts, uh, rising unemployment, and uh, Justinian was of low birth. He wasn't liked by certain segments of the population. Um, He'd put down some former protesters pretty harshly, and there was a whole bunch of issues surrounding chariot racing um, between various teams called the Greens and the Blues. Now, this is actually a really funny part of history, but... um, Kind of how modern day football or for soccer for our American listeners, there are often like riots and fights after major games. Um, There was a ton of hype around chariot racing in Constantinople. And the two major teams at this time were called the Greens and the Blues. Uh, Justinian was a blue. um, But at one point there was this big fiasco with uh, some chariot racers from the Greens and the Blues being ordered to be executed by Justinian. The people did not like that. And so instead he said, I'll put them in prison instead. They still weren't happy. So this big revolt happened and then thousands of people died in the city. But Belisarius was called by Justinian to put down this revolt. And again, it was a massively bloody affair, not something that's really great on, it's not a good look for anybody on either side of this conflict, basically. But Wait, so they were um, rioting because of the chariot races? Well, I would, I'd rather, you know, I prefer to say the chariot races were the powder keg that was thrown in, lit and thrown into the massive pile of gunpowder that had already been building up. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was the spark that lit the flame. It it really was, um, 
kind of what pushed a lot of people over the edge. And again, people like people in America take their football very seriously. People yeah. in Constantinople took their chariot racing very seriously. I mean, it was way more than even today we do with sports. It wow, was a big so deal. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. You just wouldn't expect that, you know, of like, yep. like when you think about sports, you just think of that as such a modern thing, like a modern right, emotion yeah. that we have. No, but it, it was certainly um, – followed and enjoyed with fervor by the people of Constantinople. So uh, <laughs> Belisarius is called to put down this revolts and unfortunately ends in the slaughter of thousands of people. And I wouldn't really say there's good guys on either side of this situation. But at the end of the day, he does restore order and by doing so um, proves his loyalty to Justinian in a lot of ways. Um, so that was kind of uh, a major event that continued to seal Belisarius's reputation, especially for Justinian, um, as a really competent general who was loyal and was deserving of the command and the responsibility that he had been given previously. So I want to move on and talk about his next campaign, which was the Vandal Campaign in northern Africa. So I don't know if you guys um, remember your Roman history or geography very well, and listeners as well, but uh, the Roman remember Empire... Remember it. I never learned it. <laughs> <laughs> You're teaching us for the first right. time. Well, you never listened to my Ethiopian episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't even here for that. I don't know what you're about. <laughs> <laughs> we had an episode on the geography of the Roman world. What are you talking about? Um, but yeah, the, the Roman Empire, um, at its height, it, it controlled almost all of northern Africa. I mean, this whole strip all the way from um, you know, the Strait of Gibraltar all the way through up into you know, Israel and Palestine. I mean, they controlled that whole area, um, including you know, northern Egypt as well. So that territory used to belong to Rome. When the Roman Empire was split, long story short, the Western Roman Empire fell and Vandal tribes came in and settled and conquered and overthrew a bunch of that region, particularly in the West. So uh, at this point, I think the Byzantines still owned um, Egypt and some of those more Eastern regions of, of, um, of uh, Northern Africa, but they definitely did not own places like Carthage and some of those Western regions. And they hadn't owned those areas in a while. Um, and there's a bunch of political reasons why Justinian wanted Belisarius to lead the campaign to retake North Africa. Um, some of them being financial, some of them being just for for territory. But one of the reasons that historians think um, led to this conquest was because um, the Vandals at this time were Aryan Christians. Um, I'm not going to get into Christology right now, but for those who do not know, um, Arianism is a form of Christianity at this time. It was it was a debate among Christians as to the um, divine nature of Jesus Christ. So Arians held that Christ was not fully divine but he was similar to divine. Whereas Nicene Christians who held to the Nicene Creed believed that Jesus was, you know, both fully God and fully man um, in, in his, in his dual nature um, in one hypostatic union. That's a complicated word, not really necessary to get into right now, but there is a big Christological controversy between these two groups of Christians and the Vandals were Aryan and most of the Eastern Roman Empire, they were all Nicene. And so the Vandals at this point, a lot of the Aryan Christians have been heavily persecuting the Nicene Christians. And so because of this persecution and because of the desire of Justinian to kind of win a religious victory and kind of win some points with the people, um, he decided to embark on this campaign. And again, remember, the riots um, demonstrated that people were really angry at Justinian at this point, and he was really not well-liked, and he was kind of wanting to score some piety points, if you will, to, to get back on their good <laughs> side. So I think he also saw this as kind of a, a strategic way to regain favor and solidify his power in a sense um, by, you know, accommodating his Nicene constituency, if that makes any sense. So interesting. Um, hmm. 
Belisarius, again, being the loyal friend of Justinian, and plus the fact that he grew up in Germania, meaning he wouldn't be considered some weird Greek foreigner by the locals um, there. Uh, he was assigned control of the army, and he took 5,000 cavalry and 10,000 infantry with him, including he had a bunch of, you know, this is not the only thing he had. He had a bunch of people coming with the army. He had um, a navy as well, and he had some, you know, Hun mercenaries, for example. But uh, they all, um, you know, got together, sailed out from Constantinople. And one interesting story about uh, Belisarius at this time, which kind of speaks to his character a little more. Um, at one point, um, he had commanded his entire army that no one was to get drunk. He was very serious about this. He said there was no heavy drinking. Um, but two of his Hun mercenaries uh, got drunk on the way and got into a major fight. And so he had them executed as a way, made a way to maintain peace and keep, you know, fighting from growing. Yikes. But yeah, wow. that was the reaction of his soldiers too. And so knowing wow. that this might prove... <laughs> they all said, yikes. <laughs> at the same time, yikes. <laughs> so yeah, knowing that this might be a bad thing for his reputation, he... Um, gave a really rousing speech, according to the history books, and and those th soldiers all went yikes. Yeah, this yikes. kind of this kind of maintained his good reputation, though. They kind of saw like oh. he gave a really good speech, apparently, and you know oh. convinced them like, hey, you know, this was necessary. These this is the goal. We have to keep focus right now. These there's some consequences to what's going to happen. <laughs> They're again. like, yeah, he's right. This was yeah. necessary. <laughs> Did yeah. they get executed then? Right, Man, right. Speech one hundred, dude. Yeah. So I, I think it's probably softened the blow a little bit, and and being able to justify his what he yeah. did, and so that like, again, it shows you how charismatic he was in a lot of ways. But um, anyway, we're going to cut a lot of this short. But um, they end up first sailing to Sicily. They lost almost all their food and water at this point. It's spoiled because of the weather. Um, they oh, wow. they stopped in Sicily to gather intel and resupply, and from there he eventually decides to set out with his army to northern Africa. Now you have to remember Justinian initially kind of wanted him to put down some revolts, um, kind of reestablish um, some control for the Eastern Roman Empire. He wasn't necessarily saying you know go and conquer the entire region. He's going to leave it up to um, Belisarius to decide. Um, Don't do also, that, but it would be great if you did. <laughs> right, and also consider the fact that letters took several weeks, if not more, to get back to. To Constantinople. So it's, it, you know, Justinian had to put a lot of faith and trust in Belisarius to make his own decisions as was required. So he ends up deciding to, um, to defeat the Vandals in Northern Africa. And so he lands near Carthage um, with his army. He has two incredible victories against the, um, the Vandal king, and he defeats their entire force within months, takes Carthage, takes various, you know, almost the entire portion that he was trying to get out to and more, um, of that territory. And he comes back to Constantinople as a hero. I mean, he, and he did so really in a, a pretty honorable way. He maintained incredible discipline over his troops. And people even said that as he was going through villages and cities along the coast, he would refuse to allow his men to pillage and rape and destroy everything they went by. So he kept pretty much everyone he came in contact with safe and was known as a pretty, um, you know, righteous and kind and kind conqueror, all things considered. So that that gave him a lot of favor with the people. That's really and funny. And that kind of spread his renown in a lot of ways. It's like, know? wow, he conquered us and he didn't pillage and rape us? Yeah, <laughs> really. No, that, I love this guy. That, wow, honestly, guy. it sounds so crazy in our ears today, but that really was kind of the norm, you know? Wasn't Carthage warfare, salted you know? over? That was way before. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was occupied 
you know, after that, way, way after. But, oh, um, so the salt has passed away. The salt is yeah. not salty. Anymore. There's some kind of metaphor we can draw from that, I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> they, they were still a little salty. But. <laughs> <laughs> they were still salty. Oh, man. And again, I could spend a whole hour on this campaign itself. It's fascinating and much more complicated than I'm making it out to be. But, you know, we'll we'll kind of pass over we'll this. We'll leave and, that for the, the James after Yeah, hours. the after show, yeah. So <laughs> um, anyway, in 535... Um, he come, he's he's back in Constantinople. He's being allotted a hero. And if if you guys know your Roman history, one of the the constant struggles in the Roman Empire was this tension between powerful charismatic generals and emperors. And often the most effective emperors were one and the same. They were powerful emperors because they were powerful military leaders, because they had the armies backing. Um and this you could imagine created an interesting dynamic between Justinian and Belisarius, which would, you know, these little cracks in their relationship would become canyons later. Um, because hmm. if you can probably tell, Belisarius was like the hero of yeah. the Byzantines at this point. This sounds right? exactly like Stalin and Zhukov. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's like the tale as old as time, really. You have the, the jealous ruler who feels his authority, you know, being taken from him. Yeah. So, um, tale yeah. as old as time, <laughs> the emperor and the military leader <laughs> <laughs> that's a beautiful disney reference yeah. that's great oh man i just imagine them dancing together in a ballroom <laughs> it's funny how timeless those things are though because with you know the the soviet union that's that was a constant theme there as well oh, yeah. where yeah. they didn't want any one you know general to become a hero to the people mm-hmm. so they would try to kind of monitor what they were doing yep no that's, that's actually exactly what ends up happening so again this doesn't really start at this point but i'm just kind of giving you a preface to the fact that there will be some conflict because of how successful um belisarius is in this campaign and so what happens is in 535 justinian you know seeing how effective he is and um you know because of some uprisings that happened in italy he commands belisarius to retake italy which was really amazing because it had been under the rule of the Ostrogoths for quite a while. And again, Ostrogoths? Yes. I think that means Eastern Goths or Western Goths. I forgot which one. Mm. It, I, again, there was a very, it's a very loose term that historians and anthropologists debate all the time. But yes, the Goths essentially commanded Italy. Now, before this time, um, it was still, it wasn't underneath Roman control, but they, they would kind of pay tribute to Rome, if you will. So the, the Gothic leaders, the Germanic mm. leaders around the area, they would still kind of pay tribute to, to Constantinople at this time. But there was a big revolt that happened and the, t- the total region became unstable. And so Justinian sees a possible symbolic victory here. Now, I would, I would like to remind you guys that we often think of Rome as like the most important city ever. And it's like this big deal. And when Rome fell, it was the end of, of societies we know it. Well, in reality, the Western Roman Empire... Um, by the time Rome was sacked for the first time, it wasn't even really that important of a city. Interestingly huh. enough, the capital had actually moved and it moved a couple of times in the Western Roman Empire to different places that were more strategic. And so Rome was kind of a bloated, you know, known as kind of a hedonistic, you know, over encumbered city that really only had symbolic value because I think I think it was by Diocletian's time. I think Diocletian cemented this idea that Rome would no longer be a you know, political center of the Western Roman Empire. Actually, in fact, Diocletian kind of didn't like Rome at all, really. He didn't really grow up or spend, spend much time there anyway. So kind of after him, Rome never really considered the the city of Rome as kind of its center hmm. point. It really moved to Constantinople as the greatest city of the empire. Watch so, out, Washington, D.C. Yeah, that's a warning to you in D.C., right? You better behave. <laughs> um, so interestingly enough, this really wasn't a strategic um 
area to take, in my opinion. I think it more had to do with the symbolic idea of this is Rome. You know, I could be the greatest emperor in hundreds of years to actually retake tons of territory that we had lost, uh, particularly with the fall of the Western Roman Empire. So this definitely had some potential in that sense to bring a lot more um, fame to Justinian's legacy. So all he has to do is like kick out a bunch of goth kids who are just like, <laughs> hanging around. Get off my lawn. <laughs> he goth walks around some kid like spray painting the wall, like Rome sucks <laughs> with an X at the end. <laughs> Ostrogoths were here. The Ostrogoths were here. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. yeah. That's funny how language changes, isn't it? But uh so he again <laughs> this again, this is also a very long and fascinating story I won't get into. The but... goth life chose me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Stop no. Uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> guys. Uh, so um where was I after the goth thing? Um, okay, so um, basically what happens in this campaign is, again, I'm giving you the short version. So he takes Sicily first, and then he moves into the main part of Italy, in the boot of Italy, if you will, and he slowly moves up the peninsula and takes Naples, and then he gets to Rome, and he en ends up taking the city, and he has an incredible uh, defense of the city because of the Goths under King oh. Wittigus, I think was his name, um, after Justinian, or sorry, not Justinian, but um, Belisarius took Rome, um, a Gothic king besieged the city from 537 to 538. And again, Rome was massive in size, even at this point, even though it had fallen and been sacked several times at this point, it was massive. But Justinian brilliantly held the city with a force that was far too small to really maintain everything. I mean, you, I, I can recommend our listeners to go and, and learn more about the siege because it's really a fascinating story of, of back and forths and, and close calls and intrigue. It, it's a really crazy story. But Can I make, uh, can I yeah. make a quick confession here? Yeah. When you said from 530 to, uh, five, 537 <laughs> to 538, oh, yeah. I was thinking like a minute. No. I was like, <laughs> that was not very long at all. <laughs> Yeah, it's like five o'clock to that, you know, five oh one. There was a siege. shortest siege. Right Flavius there. is on the walls of Rome. You come here, guys. <laughs> you only attack us for one minute. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, why would why would this even be called a siege if he's just out there for a minute? Oh, I'm so I'm sorry. So yeah. It wouldn't be so. the French though. It'd be, uh, you are the cowards. <laughs> you, you come out. <laughs> It's like the Gotham King was playing a video game and he accidentally pressed Siege and immediately pressed Cancel oh, after. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> control exactly. Z, Control Z. Uh, exactly. Yeah. No, but I, I should have said uh, 537 AD or CE to 538. Well, fun so, fact, yeah. as this was happening, Justinian built Hagia Sophia back in Constantinople. Absolutely. The, the famous building that stands today. Although it, it's obviously undergone a couple of changes over time, but Many it, it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was, um, it was constructed under Justinian's reign. So oh, I um, love these Istanbul or Constantinople facts. Yeah, you, you guys are welcome. More often. Yeah. Would you prefer me to call it Istanbul, you know, to or Constantinople, <laughs> Constantinople. If this, if this was a video series, it'd be like, you know how on daytime TV, they have the little banners that come up and say like tonight at seven, this show, like I would have little tidbits of like. Fun fact, when Flavius <laughs> was fighting the Goths, Justinian built Hagia Sophia. Yeah, like a little footnote in a podcast. Yeah. Exactly. No, that, that's a good side note. I appreciate that. So, yeah. So anyway, Justinian, uh, again, holds the siege and holds the city and essentially secures victory. Um, unfortunately, he's unable to continue taking much more land in Italy because of internal conflicts among his commanders. But the Goths end up offering to surrender in 540. Um, but again, knowing of Belisarius's good reputation, and even they respect him a lot, they said that they would only um, surrender if Belisarius would crown himself emperor against oh. Justinian. 
So again, oh, dude. mind games. Getting spicy. <laughs> this is an interesting a dynamic because Belisarius, in my opinion, because of just his reputation and how incredibly competent he was, and I'm sure how you know loyal his troops were and how much they respected him. There were many, many, you know, generals throughout Roman history who ended up doing this thing. They would proclaim themselves emperor, go into Rome, try to take control. I mean, this happened tons of times, and it was often successful, oftentimes wasn't. I mean, I could, you know, Vespasian, you know, there's the year of the four emperors, there's the year of the five emperors. I mean, there's so many times in Roman history where the army kind of gets behind a guy, says, hey, maybe you should be emperor. Yeah, and then we'll kind of support you. And then he gets a lot of excitement going, and then he goes and fights, and, you know, whatever might happen. Um, so you could see why this this itself would be not only compelling to Belisarius, but it also would make a lot of um, people back in Constantinople very fearful or suspicious, particularly Justinian at this point, um, you know, had he heard about this happening. So what ends up happening, though, is Belisarius agrees to this, uh, but what ends up happening is he gets all the people who wanted to coronate him king together to celebrate it. And as they come to crown him king, he turns on them last second because now he knows who are all the people conspiring against Justinian. <laughs> oh, dude. Mind games. Yeah, he takes them all and has them all executed and oh. proclaims victory in the name of Justinian, his emperor. Wow. Demonstrating dude. his steadfast loyalty to Justinian. Dude, that's like Game of Thrones right there. Yeah, man. That, that's some backstabbing. That's like, yeah. That's like watching that big temple thing like blow up. You know? <laughs> right. It, it's, I mean, it, it's, it really you is. You made like, that very clear, Johnny. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's like the big temple. It's been thing a long time up. since I've watched it, but I know there's people in there and they die. And, <laughs> Um, wow, that that's that's an epic moment. That's pretty cool. I wonder if there was any temptation on his part to like give in and be like, "Yeah, I'll become your emperor." That right. sounds that, great. Maybe, that's a great question. Maybe it was yeah. like if enough people showed up, he would have right. been like, "Yeah, I'm the emperor. <laughs> you all love me." But it was like it was like twenty people. He asked his assistant, oh, "How many yeah. people are here?" Two thousand. Yeah. Darn it! Just He's darn like, it. all right, just execute them. <laughs> just take them out. Just, oh, thanks. Oh man. Oh. Yeah. Again, like I, I, my my suspicion. Again, I'm not an expert in Byzantine history, nor am I um, a biographer of Belisarius, so I can't really tell you exactly. But based on the rest of his life and what I know about him, I I'm pretty sure he would not go against Justinian. I mean, this guy was loyal all the time to a fault. I mean, even no matter how much dirt got kicked in his face, he pretty much always supported his emperor. So. Um, I, I think this was pretty much premeditated from the very beginning. And I think if he had tried to usurp Emperor Justinian, there would have been a lot of pushback probably from his own men as well. So I think I think a lot of his men at least knew what was going on, you know, while this was happening. So um, but again, I would recommend our listeners look into this with more detail if they want the the juicy details of that. But that was a pretty cool um, scenario, I think. Um, so again, he he's he's pretty successful in Italy. And again, this is a big deal. Um for the Byzantine or the Eastern Roman Empire, because once again, this was a huge symbolic victory. Again, it wasn't as big of a you know strategic victory so much as it was a symbolic one. So this again raises Justinian's notoriety. You know, we still remember him today partially because of what Belisarius did, and it also, of course, made Belisarius very popular. Um, but Justinian calls him back and then sends him to fight the Sassanids again. So. You know, he's had some mixed results in the past, some very good, some some not so good, but um, he sent out to fight once again. But this time he has a lot of troubles with his forces and his troops who are quite incompetent at various points. And he, again, is unable to have much success. And unfortunately, he was wrongly charged with disloyalty and was brought back um, accused to Constantinople. But it was only because of Theodora, um, who's Justinian's wife, who was friends with 
um, his wife, Belisarius' wife, Antonia, um, and, and it was kind of Theodora who had that relationship with him um, who kept him out of trouble. She kind of spoke out on his behalf and kept him from getting in real deep trouble. So he's kind of cleared of those charges as well. Um, but what ends up happening is that Rome kind of dissolves into chaos again, unfortunately. The people that Belisarius had left behind to kind of maintain things were pretty incompetent, and so things fall into disarray once again. And so Justinian sends him out to um, shore up everything there. Um, but at this point, Justinian is pretty suspicious of Belisarius. Um, he's beginning to grow um, cautious around him. He's not as likely to just give him his unwielding support. He worries of uh, possible disloyalty on his part. So when Belisarius goes back to Rome, Justinian does not really back him up. He doesn't send reinforcements or resupply him enough. He basically does everything he can to make sure that Belisarius doesn't really succeed, um, to be frankly honest. So he had some success, and he even took and held Rome again for a short while, but he didn't hold it for very long, and he was forced to return to Constantinople. And the sad thing is that we know that Justinian was holding back because a, a later general after Belisarius was recalled was appointed to take back Rome, and he was given a lot more support by Justinian, and he actually ended up being successful because of it. Um, See, I don't know... I don't feel like that makes any sense on Justinian's part. Like if the guy has already proven himself by like literally turning and all the people who are going to betray him, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think, I think part of that, I think he might've had some of the same questions you did, Samuel. Like, I wonder if he did that last minute to make it right. look like he was loyal or he, I think, I think also part of what happened in Persia, again, I need to look back into this in more detail, but I think part of what happened in Persia um, a lot of those accusations, while they might have been um, untrue, the only reason he kind of got a pass from those was because of Theodora. And I think that there were a lot of things said and a lot of things reported about him that might have led Justinian to have some suspicions there. Um, again, I'm not going to say that with absolute certainty until I look it up again for you. But yeah, that, right. that's, a, that's a good point. So. Yeah, I think if you listen to the History of Rome podcast, you'll realize the insane amount of like doubt that every single emperor had. And just mm -hmm. the paranoia of yeah. anyone and everyone around me, including my family, is trying to kill me to take right. my throne. So yeah, right. even right. even yeah. if you know Flavius has pretty clearly shown himself as loyal, you know Justinian still. Yeah, very and I'm wary sure of him. that's like one of those things that if I, I mean, of course we're not anywhere near that type of position, and so like, yeah, the level of suspicion we would never really understand. Yeah. But it is still interesting to look back on it in hindsight and be like, well, it is, yeah. he kind of proved himself, but. Mm. And I, I would even say, I would, I would even say it's not really unjustified paranoia or, or you, maybe I could say it's not really paranoia because it had happened so many times. Right. I mean, yeah. there yeah. were so many examples from Roman history that Justinian would have been well aware of, of times when generals getting too much power and, you know, having troops loyal to him rather than to the empire um, yeah. could create a when lot of problems. When he was sitting him. and listening to the History of Rome podcast. <laughs> Dang. He's like, wow, man. They, man, they're saying stuff that hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> Emperor Justinian died of a very bad headache. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a great podcast, by the way, History of Rome podcast. I think they also did one on Byzantium, which I need to listen to. Um, it was a different guy who continued it. But yeah, so th there's a lot of suspicion building up. Um, so he doesn't really support him. He's called back and... You know, instead of being, you know, 
really in trouble. He was allowed to keep his land and his wealth. And so Belisarius kind of lived in retirement, if you will, in Constantinople for quite a while after he comes back from Rome. But in 559, the Huns come and... If you know anything about Huns, they pop out of the snow like, like daisies. <laughs> like daisies. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Huns were a big problem for the Eastern Roman Empire this time, and they came marauding through the empire at this point all the way to Constantinople, and Justinian calls out Belisarius to help. So again, I'm not going to get into the details here, but Belisarius, again, proves his competency and loyalty in he's that like, he's— Man, I can't come out of retirement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I need you. I'm too old for this. <laughs> Too old man. I love how we always bring out that old retirement like, yeah, like, like cliche. And it's <laughs> no, but really, he uses his private regiment that he has in Constantinople, and he manages to, you know, through a lot of trickery and clever maneuvering, frighten the Huns away, and they flee and don't end up ransacking the city. So again, he kind of saves Constantinople, um, even though he's been kind of disgraced and maligned by superiors in court. So uh, three years later, unfortunately, he was accused in a plot to kill Justinian. And this is really sad because he was most likely innocent, according to most historians, but he was partially disgraced after this. Man, this guy getting accused all the time mm-hmm. of stuff. Really. Left and right. Yep. <laughs> um, Unfortunately, though, in 563, I believe, he was partially restored. Um, but uh, even though he lives you know, peacefully after that and he kind of has some of his reputation given back to him, he died only a few years later. And he dies only a few months before Justinian died, the emperor who he you know, for mm. so long, was so loyal to Coincidence? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, how, Probably not. <laughs> how would he kill him if he's already dead? I don't know. <laughs> no, but yeah, so, um, yeah, he ends up dying, and unfortunately, he kind of was maligned at the end of his life, but he still is kind of, kind of lives on as a, as a hero of, of Rome. So he's kind of an archetype in many people's minds and in many romanticized accounts of his life later on, he's kind of seen as the archetype of the loyal soldier who just serves his king above everything else to the very mm. end and never betrays his leader. So, hmm. and then gets betrayed and right, then right. He's disgraced, yeah. accused and, and yeah. cleared and accused yeah, and cleared yeah. and then accused and disgraced. <laughs> kind of well, like that. So before Robin um, was Flavius. Yep. <laughs> and you know, I, I would definitely consider this a very arbitrary category, but a lot of historians consider him one of the last great Romans. And that title kind of refers to some of these last great generals and emperors who kind of continued in this tradition of Roman history from, you know, way back in the early Roman days. So yeah. a lot a lot of people kind of give him that title as, as one of the last great, great Oh Romans. yeah, I saw that list and the the last guy on it was actually the one who left a door open for the Ottomans. Uh, that was a good one, Daniel. That, wow. that was a good one. Wow. Yep. Nice. Oh, I wish I wish one of you had direct Roman descent. I would just get on your case all the time. But. Jeez. All of our Greek Orthodox <laughs> trying to start a race yeah. war over here. <laughs> <laughs> all of our great Greek Orthodox listeners are super upset by this. I need right somebody now. to attack. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, wow. Well, thanks, James. That's, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Again, yeah. that's the very truncated summary of his life. But I hope you guys got a little taste of kind of his his uh, his legacy. My so. my favorite was the whole thing where. He's getting sieged, but then he's like, "No, nah, I'm not going to be sieged." So he comes out and like takes them on, pretty yeah. much sieges, sieges them <laughs> yeah. instead. And he was I'll pretty, pretty back. highly outnumbered. The, the Persians yeah. are like, "You're not supposed to do that." Yeah. <laughs> it's like a reverse card. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. 
All right. Well, we uh, we are going to sing a song now about Flavius Belisarius, and I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of things that rhyme with Belisarius that oh, we yeah. can sing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be fun. I'm going to whip out my dombra, which a dombra oh. is a two-stringed lute-like instrument from Kazakhstan. So mm. this will be very uh, more Hunnic than Roman, yeah, probably. which is weird because he fought the Huns. <laughs> well, yeah. paying tribute to Flavius. It's like the Huns are paying tribute to him. Like, right, you right. defeated us. Here is a song in your honor. Or right. Okay. Let me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So let, let's see if we can figure this out real quick. All right, James. So why don't you go ahead and take it away on that dombra over there, bro? Right. This should be interesting. So here we have a, a dombra song about a Byzantine general. <laughs> All right. Because <laughs> that works. To win the day Securing wins Enduring greed and disdain For the glory of Rome Ah. Sending them to the tomb I <laughs> uh, love that. Oh, love it. Rhyming uh, Rome with tome. Quality rhyme. <laughs> I vote we now pronounce it as tome for the rest tomb. of our yeah, who knew? Who knew Roman tomb rhyme, man? Roman tomb. James, I love Roman how that tomb. started Central relation and became Mumford in the word Rome. I was doing like the Kazakh, Kazakh music often has these like guttural endings sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a little tribute there, but yeah. Wow. Nice, nice. All right, well. Uh, any other any other thoughts, guys? Uh, everyone, lock your back doors tonight. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? That sounds so ominous. I know. Because I'm gonna come to your door that, and play the don't. Yeah, I get, okay. Hold on. I realize. <laughs> I realize. Ninety five percent, at least, of our audience doesn't know how Const- how Constantinople was captured by the Ottomans. Oh, you mean <laughs> the story much, about how the, the guy left the gate open? Yeah, legend has it. Well, kind of history, I guess. I don't know. The the as the Byzantines were fighting the Ottomans outside the walls and were retreating. A dude forgot to close the gates, so the Ottomans swarmed into Is the city. Is that going to be your unsung hero for next week? <laughs> yes. Ooh. The guy who forgot to close the gate. Throwing real shade there, Dan. So the Ottomans <laughs> take his, over. History is told from the perspective of the victors. So. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, our listeners are going to have to stay tuned and see if that episode ever comes out. So that'll yeah. be fun. Pro- probably not. Yeah. All right, well. We will go ahead and sign off and see you guys on the next one. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Men burda jak bulmaydan. Men kazakça. Men kazakça. Keldim, kattım. Men jakça. Kolay. Yok, parmağı vermem. Öte jaksı. Öte jaksı. Öte jaksı. Men salamatsız babo.